Good morning, everybody. Thanks for being here. It's nice to see you today. Um, we have been through four chapters of the book of Romans here into week seven. That's pretty good. We're on a pretty good pace so far. That means it might end sometime this year, which is, uh, is a good thing. Uh, but I, I don't know how you have felt uh, going through this study w with me, but I have really been challenged every step of the way. Uh, Paul was writing to a group of Christians who were struggling with a question or an issue that, that Christians have struggled through for centuries. And as you know by now, it is the relationship between uh, grace, faith, and works. And this particular group was leaning heavily on following the law, so much so that the grace of God had been diminished within their, their meeting. So Paul was going to great, great, very thorough lengths uh, to make sure that they knew that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And he described how far man, how far away man is from God, that no one seeks God, no one understands him, no one knows him. He pointed out that the law is really only good for showing us uh, all of the many ways that we fall short of God. And then came through with it is faith in Jesus that saves us, and this is the best news. But even as we have gone through all of this, we still, us in this room, want to say that yes, we are saved by grace through faith, but our works really matter. And what you do really matters. And without a doubt, the things that we do matter. That is true. It would be difficult to read the teachings of Jesus or of Paul, for that matter, and not pick up the importance of obedience and following in the ways of Jesus. But we can very easily transition from being a people who emphasize grace to being a people that emphasize works. It's so easy for us to do, and as we sort of talked about at the end of our service last week, uh, I asked the question, are we afraid of giving too much grace to people? And that historically we have seen that the church is much more willing to err toward legalism than it is toward grace. And you think about all the ways that that has happened over time and, and all the ways that it has shown itself in different communities. But there is always going to be this tension between faith and works. There's always going to be a push and a pull. But at this point, a new question comes into the discussion, a question that you may not have ever put into this discussion about faith and works. And the question is, is Jesus enough for you? Now, the answer seems to be a clear yes, doesn't it? I mean, if you're asking a question, is Jesus enough? The answer we know should be yes. But the problem is when we give too much weight to the things that we do, to our actions and to our works, and we make those things so important to what it means to be saved, ultimately, are we saying then, Jesus is enough, but he, just, he needs my help a little bit. 
Let's dig into chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 5. We'll be uh, in the first half of this uh, chapter this morning. Chapter 5 starts out with the word therefore, which does not mean he has just seen a four in front of him. Therefore. Thank you, Randy. That was for you. Uh, It starts out with the word therefore, and the therefore with which this chapter begins means that he's referring back to uh, chapter 4. And here's, here's kind of, again, what he said in chapter, in chapter 4. Um, Those who have placed their trust in Christ can rest assured that their faith has been credited to them as righteousness, and their confidence is based on the fact that Christ was put to death for their sins and raised again that they might be declared just. So he went into this whole discussion, if you remember, about Abraham and David and how we are saved through our faith. So let's pick it up here in uh, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom... We have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, You've heard this passage before. This is one of those Romans passages passages that is very quotable. So one thing I want you to consider this morning is how everything we've heard so far maybe leads us to a slightly different understanding of what Paul is saying here. So what does being saved uh, by faith uniquely give to us that we cannot get somewhere else? Because that's what Paul is trying to describe here. These are uh, the benefits, the consequences of being saved by grace through faith. And the first consequence of our justification through faith is that we have peace. And in this case, he, he, he ties it to something specifically. Um, the, the security to stand before God. Peace is a great word here. And as he uses this term, it doesn't primarily depict a state of inner tranquility. This kind of peace is is external and objective. To have peace with God means to be in a relationship with God where all of the hostility between you and God has been erased and you are no longer under the wrath of God. I've told you this story lots of times before, but it's one of my favorite kind of, it creates such a visual image in your head about uh, when the the one day that the uh, high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and they would tie a rope to to his ankle because just in case the priest hadn't atoned for everything and God struck him dead, they wanted to be able to drag him out because I'm not going in there after him, are you? That so perfectly models for us what the relationship, how the relationship with God under works lacks peace. But Paul says when we are justified through our faith, then we can 
confidently stand before God and know that his anger, his wrath, our sin is not getting in the way. We can be before him. As one writer put it, which I think this is just a great description, the fall of humankind did not put an end to God's plans once and for all, but rather necessitated an eternally significant detour through the cross and the empty tomb. God's plan that we should reflect his glory is now being realized in the lives of believers. We have peace. We can be before God in this grace he has given us, and we can stand before him unashamed. Isn't that wonderful? We can stand before him unashamed. Secondly, we have hope in the glory of God. Uh, I'm going to keep this one pretty simple. We have hope in God's ability to overcome our sin and shame. He is capable. And what we could not do for ourselves in overcoming our sin, God has done for us, and that changes our perspective on life and who we are and who he is. We become a people of hope knowing that God is enough to overcome for us. Thirdly, and this is an interesting one that, that kind of feels like it doesn't belong, but we gain perspective in our sufferings, which builds perseverance and character. We, we gain perspective in our sufferings. So here, here's the question kind of that Paul is trying to address here, which is, I think, a really good one. What does it mean to suffer under a merit-based system versus a grace-based system? What are the differences between those kinds of suffering? Well, in a merit-based system, why would you suffer? Because you did something wrong. And, and you didn't meet the mark, and therefore suffering is a consequence of your behaviors and your action. Therefore, everything that goes wrong is your fault, and ultimately the suffering that you're going through, you deserve that suffering. So what is the answer for you? Well, try harder. Try harder to get things right, to, to make sure that your suffering comes to an end, and in this kind of relationship, you are struggling and working hard and failing to appease an exacting and demanding master. Think of the weight of that. Think of, think of what a burden that is. And certainly within that scenario, there is no peace or hope. There is just a constant reminder of your failure and how you're not enough. But in a grace-based system, the opposite is true. Your suffering is not a result of your ineptitude. The God of grace already knew you were inept. And he offered you grace anyway. Your suffering then is the result of others trying to take your grace, peace, and hope away from you. Much like Job, your suffering exists as a way to influence you to turn away from God. But Paul has already just described that we can stand before God, that we are able to be before God. And so when we suffer, 
we know that God is an overcomer. We know that God is able and capable. And we're going to get into at a later time what suffering really means to Paul in sort of the grand scale of the world. But as Paul will later spell out as well, nothing can separate you from the love of God. So if your suffering is intended to draw you away from God, Paul says you can't be drawn away from God. And therefore, what do you build within yourself? Perseverance, the ability to fight your way through it. And notice he doesn't say that God will resolve everything for you or that God will make everything right. He doesn't say that. What he says is you will build some spiritual muscles that you didn't have before that will allow you to stand and face whatever is coming. And you can do that because you have peace knowing you can stand before God. You have hope knowing that God can overcome things and you grow stronger and build character. You learn to stand in the middle of things, cling to God in the face of suffering, and that clean builds something in you. Your hands get stronger as you hold on to God. Fourthly, we are led back to hope. Yes, there is hope twice, uh, which is a pretty good thing. Hope is not superficial optimism, but the confident assurance of that which will surely come to pass. It distinguishes those who have kept the faith in time of severe testing. This hope is not only the hope we find in God being capable. This time, it is a hope that we have experienced in some of our hardest times. It is something real and tangible, proven through the faithfulness of God. And we have experienced that, haven't we? As God has walked through us in difficult times, as God has taught us something we never would have learned on our own, as God has carried us through when things were difficult. And finally, through all of this, God's love is poured into us through and with the Holy Spirit. R.H. Mounts writes, Hope is rewarded with a fresh awareness of the incomprehensible love of God. God's Holy Spirit who enters our life in response to faith is at work helping us grasp the reality of what it means to be encircled in the love of God. In short, we are overwhelmed as the capper to all of this. We are overwhelmed by the knowledge of the love of God. And it overflows, it pours out over us. It fills us up and seals these things that God has given to us. Now, all of these things are true, and we have all of these things because we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. God has done this, has given us these gifts. And when you see all of this now laid out in front of you, what kind of person do you see? What kind of person do you see? Paul had spent the first part of Romans telling us that, that knowing God does not give you a changed heart, that, that following the law doesn't mean you're in relationship with God, that people, 
people could know God, could know the law, and, and never change anything about themselves. He described how life under the law is stripped of meaning and purpose. He described how pursuing perfection is an empty goal that cannot be attained. How deep down none of us really seek God or are good enough to make a dent in the effect of sin. And consequently, we get so fixed on, on what we should do and how we should do it that our hearts remain unchanged, unrepentant, unturned. But this, this is the description of a life under grace through faith, and it describes someone who is irrevocably changed. Changed in, in so many ways. And I want you to note that all of the transformations we just talked about are deep, heart-changing things. The, the person who is experiencing grace as a gift from God has great peace, hope, ability to endure, the Holy Spirit, the love of God flowing over them. And, and unlike those who focus on the law, they have deep knowledge of the love of God. This is not just a repentant heart then. This is a heart revolutionized changed completely and the person who has experienced this grace of god can never be the same again can never be the same again okay paul how do we know all of this is true how do we know this is what we get so to quote paul directly use your noodle from Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. It's interesting how he differentiates between a righteous person and a good person. Have you ever noticed that before? <clears throat> but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now let's break this down here. Christ died for us at the right time. Not only was it the right time in terms of the sweep of history, but it was the right time in the sense that we were powerless to break the chains of sin. This had been proven in us. We were unable to help ourselves, bound by sin and destined for an eternity apart from God. No amount of struggle could free us from the condemnation. So for us, this time when Jesus Christ came to us, it was the right time. It was the right time. Because we were desperately in need of a Savior. Why? Because we were still sinners when Christ came to us. We were still sinners. The remarkable thing about the death of Jesus was that it took place while we were still sinners. God did not wait until we had performed well enough to merit his love, which of course Paul's already said we can't do anyway. He didn't wait for that before he acted in love on our behalf. Christ died for us, you see, while we were still alienated from God and cared nothing about God's attention or affection. This, you know this, 
This is not normal for people. It's also not normal for a God. This is a point that I think we have heard many times but fail to appreciate. If someone is righteous, meaning they are in good standing before God, people most likely will not die for that person. If someone's good, meaning that there's some sort of affection there, then maybe someone might possibly, if then, consider not or doing. They wouldn't do it, most likely. Well, people might say they would die for someone else, but when it comes down to actually sacrificing one sacrificing one's life for a good person, it's not likely. For an unrighteous or a bad person, forget about it, it's not even a discussion. And this is simply true. It is how things are. Paul is not being critical, he's just stating the facts. People do not very often volunteer to die for someone else. This is what made the sacrifice of Jesus so remarkable. He sacrificed himself for people that he knew didn't deserve it and never would. He made the choice to sacrifice himself intentionally. He didn't spring into action at the last second. He spent years journeying to the time when he would sacrifice himself, and he suffered immensely in order to do this for us. How do we know that we receive all of these things? Well, this is how we know that God loves us enough to give us those things, you see. When you look at the path that Jesus took, when you realize how we suffered and chose to die, when you realize he did this while we were still sinners, the only conclusion that we can come to is that God loves us more than we can understand. God loves us more than we can understand. Finally, in verses 9 through 11, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What does he point out? Number one, God's love is greater than his wrath. His love for you is greater than the anger that he would carry or have for you. Secondly, God's ability to reconcile is greater than the separation that we have from him. He can overcome that separation, that distance, those things. Therefore, we can boast and have confidence in God through Jesus who makes all this possible. For if God chose to save us when we hadn't chosen him, how much more can we have confidence in our salvation when we do choose him? You see? Use your noodle. It's there for a reason. Think about everything that God has done. And it only makes sense that when we choose God, the God who had already chosen us, we are saved through his great love. Let's recap. 
Number one, there is a huge difference between knowing we are saved by faith in Jesus and trying to save ourselves through works. Number two, peace, hope, perseverance, character, hope, and overflowing love are all byproducts of our being saved through faith in Jesus, and they are not available through works. Number three, we can be confident in God's saving grace through Jesus because God is more than capable and he knows what he's doing. Number four, he chose to save us at the right time when we were helpless, not because of anything we had done to make ourselves worthy. And number five, God's grace is greater than. It just is. It's just greater than. Whatever you want to put at the end of that sentence. Church, I want you to know something crucial this morning. God is enough. He is enough to overcome anything that you may be experiencing in your life. He is enough in your suffering to build something in you. He is enough to do whatever needs to be done. And God chose to act that out in our lives, sending us Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus is enough. He is enough to save you from your greatest weakness and trouble. He is enough to remove the gap between you and God. He is enough to change you from the inside out as the embodiment of the love of God. And here's the best news of all. You ready? You're not enough, but you don't have to be. You don't have to be. God is enough. Jesus is enough. Amen.